Hi, I'm Pastor Steve, one of the pastors here at Hope Chapel. Thank you for your interest in joining the prayer team. Because we take serious the confidentiality of those seeking prayer, we're asking that you be an active member of a local church. If you're not a regular attender or a member here at Hope Chapel, please let us know what church you are a part of. We're also asking that you have a personal relationship with God. Although God hears the prayers of all people, we do see in James chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, that the fervent prayers of a righteous person is very powerful. So we're asking that you make sure that you're confessing your own sins. Two, that you have a personal born-again relationship with God by grace through faith in Jesus. And that you are praying fervently out of an abundance of your belief in God's existence and God's love for the world and His ability and desire to accomplish His will. We're asking that you would pray every day and commit a certain amount of time praying for those prayers assigned to you, about 20 or 25, depending on how many we receive. You can, of course, pray for more, but there's people trusting on your intercession, praying for their prayer needs on a daily basis. We're asking that you keep these prayers confidential. Even if you know the person or the situation who's asking for prayer, that you just pray. You won't even have access to their information, and we're asking that you just, you know, not reach out uh, offering solutions that you may have to their situation. Unless, of course, the Lord lays it on your heart, He makes that very clear and possible for you to do so, then who am I to stand in the way of what God is asking you to do? Well, every day about mid-morning, you'll receive an email with an update, as long as we're getting those updates and hopefully you'll be receiving some answers to the prayers that you are praying for as people are sharing us with those. Down below, you'll find some extra resources that may be beneficial to you as you enter into this season of prayer. Know that we are praying for you as you are taking up this challenge, this privilege, this honor of praying for others. If you're ready to join that team, go ahead and click the button below and God bless. Good morning, Hope Chapel. Good morning to Hope Chapel that's joining us online. I had the privilege of doing that last week myself. Um, I had been in Florida with my boys playing some golf, and so when I came back, even after a negative test at the airport, I decided to quarantine for a few days to make sure I didn't develop any symptoms, and so I was the online pastor last week, and last week we had 90 people um, 90 logins, and our best estimate is that's probably closer to three people per login. So imagine that with the 70 or so of us that are gathered here this morning, there's another 270 people or more that are gathered with us online. I mean, we'd be squeezed in like sardines if we were all here in person. But and we're actually looking forward to those numbers growing here in the near future. Uh, I've heard that a number of our super seniors, those who are 75 or older, are already receiving their vaccinations. And so, and then they'll be getting their second one by the end of the month of February. And, and then slowly they'll begin to feel more comfortable being able to re-engage with us. So we look forward to those numbers kind of going up. And if you're looking for a place really to be able to settle in, you know, the, the first service gets fairly full. We usually have a couple of no-shows, as we've had a little bit this morning. But then also um, we, we usually have room at the 1030 service. So if you're looking to kind of reconnect and that kind of thing, we'd love for you to come out and join us at, at 1030. And if you're looking to save somebody a seat, just come at 1030. They can have the 9 o'clock service. 9 clock service remains the most popular of all of those. Hey, what Steve was referring to was um, 
We're going to start a prayer initiative a week from Wednesday, which is actually the first day of Lent. Can you believe Lent is here already? February the 17th. And we're going to t- take on what I, what I am looking at as a 10-fold prayer challenge. We're, we're, we're looking to have 100 people or more pray for 1,000 prayer requests or more throughout the period of Lent. So that's for 40 days. And so we already have 78 people signed up. So we're getting close to that 100 already. And some of those are couples who just, you know, one signed up and we really know both of them are doing, but we don't have both names. But uh, so if you've done that, we'd love for you to go in and add on the second person with you. And this is not just for, for adults. We'd love for our teens and for our children to participate with us in this. And, and just to be clear, we're not going to have you praying for all a thousand needs every day, right? We want to give you a core group of prayer requests for you to be praying about throughout the 40 days. And then we also want to give you lots of other ones that you can pull from. But we want to make sure we pray for each prayer request every single day. So we'll be divvying those up among the 100 or so or more people uh, as we go forward. So as Steve mentioned, you can sign up for that right through our website. If you're joining us online, you can hit the pause button right now and just go over to, to it's the church's name. Where we, the town we're located in.org, hopechapelsterling.org. And there's a great prayer page there if you haven't been to it yet. There's some great messages on prayer and some other resources there. So, you know, if you're not going back to our website regularly and checking in on things, you're really missing out. There's some great resources that we keep putting up for you there. And in fact, as a part of Lent, you should have gotten in the mail or will be getting in the mail the next couple of days package that looks just like this. And so we, we're also providing you with just a, a very brief kind of guide to use to, to, for some reading and spiritual direction throughout the period of Lent. And because there's guys like me in the church who are challenged, we actually have a bookmark that says what day you're supposed to be reading on what day of the month. So really what this is designed for is to tell me how far I'm behind and how much I need to catch up, right? And some of you fall into that same thing. So if you haven't gotten these yet, keep, keep an eye out and, and go forward from there. All right, that's a lot of stuff. Hey, as, as uh, Jack mentioned earlier in our thing, we want to continue with our series today called Completely His. And we've had a memory verse from 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, the beginning part, where it says, The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may strongly support the heart that is completely his. I know many of you have been memorizing that, whether you're at home or here with us in the sanctuary. Would you say that with me? For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may strongly support the heart that is completely his. Now that strong support is, is, is marvelous stuff, right? We learn from the life of King Asa. That means that we can be in a position, even though we're outmanned and outgunned by more than a two-to-one ratio, we can still have victory. Or maybe you can look at like the life of King David, right? And even though you're just a young boy with a slingshot and a couple of rocks, you can still take out the Goliath. You know, it, it's one of those experiences where, where we can be like a Job. Even though the pressure, the pain, the hurt, the brokenness gets so, so intense, you're strong enough to persevere in your faith and to hang on. God is ready and able to support the heart that is completely his. That's one of the great lessons that we learned from the life of King Asa, was that when, 
we are with God, God is with us, and God is ever ready, and God is always able to strongly support the heart that is completely his. But we didn't want to leave that just in the Old Testament, so we've come over to the New Testament. And we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount to see some of these principles come to life, not only about how God strongly supports the heart that's completely his, but what it really like means to have a heart that is completely God's, right? And that's really the challenge for us. That's our end of the bargain, right, is, is to, if, if you will, to guide our lives by faith so that we stay in the drop zone, if you remember that terminology, of how God shares his blessings with us. And so we started out with Jesus as this new lawgiver, He's up on the mountain, just like Moses went up on the mountain to get the law. He's up on the mountain, and he's teaching the people. And he's been sharing what it is for us to be a people who are oriented towards experiencing the strength of God in our lives because our hearts are completely his. And he does that through the Beatitudes. And what Steve did such a wonderful job last week pointing out to us that God has actually designed us. It is inherent in who we are as his children, to be able to line up with what's always on his heart. We are the salt of the earth. We don't have to become the salt of the earth. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And those two images fit right in the fact that God is always about, and I'm going to use a couple big churchy words here, redemption and regeneration. You know, God is always about wanting us to become his children and to be people who live with the blessings with the identity, with the character of being his children. It's about redemption, us becoming his children, moving from death to life and becoming a child of God. And then in in, in regeneration, we actually grow to where we can enjoy more of who God is and more who we are as God's child. That's what God is always about, the salt and the light. And he wants to use us that way, and God is working in our lives that way. Now, He continues on, and at the very end of this, and and if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 with me. Pastor William read that for us just a minute ago. Uh, Prisco is um, our daughter church. We had a hand in planting that church right after we got started ourselves, um, 18 years ago, actually. It was interesting. I think today is the 15th anniversary of us meeting in the church building. If I remember correctly, it was the first Sunday of 2006 that we had our very first worship experience inside this building as a congregation. We finished kind of building it, got the clearance to occupy, and we moved in. And so, and we had a a hand in planting, and and he did a a great job in reading it, and I wish I could speak more than one language. Um, Jesus wraps up his teaching about the light of the world by saying, and so let your good deeds be seen before men that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, that terminology of good works or good deeds sets sets Jesus off a little bit because the criticism that was already going on about Jesus was that he was a lawbreaker. He was a lawbreaker. He he, he ate with sinners, right? You're going to see over a period of time he's going to heal people on the Sabbath. That's a no-no, right? He's he's going to allow his disciples to pick grain on the Sabbath as they're walking through the fields. That's a no-no. And so he, and over and over again, he's looked at as being a law breaker. 
And so when he mentions this idea of good works or expressions of the will of God in our lives, right, the way we live it out, he, gets it, he backs up. And this is a statement we get from verses 17 through 20. And this is where I want us to park today to ask this question. But how is it that we have hearts that are completely his? He says, but don't think that I came to abolish the law. All right? Or the prophets. Law and the prophets is an expression there for the Old Testament. Don't, don't, don't come. Don't think that I came, so I'm just going to rip those pages right out of your Bible. That's, that's not why I came. Right? Don't think that I came to be a lawbreaker. He says, don't think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, which is really another way of saying that these are, these are something you can bank on forever, right? Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. And, and the, the, the image here is if we were going to bring it over to our English language, he says, he says, there's not a single dot on an I or an apostrophe that's going to pass away until everything that God promised is going to happen. Right? And he, I'm here to fulfill that. Therefore, verse 19, all things are, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches other to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Let me put that in language that might be a little bit more grabbable for us, right? When he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. When he uses that idea of surpassing righteousness, the way we might, is that our righteousness has to be better than the experts, right? Let me put it in, in this term. If you want to get into heaven, you have to be more righteous and more dedicated to God than Billy Graham and Mother Teresa combined. How many of you are ready for that, right? right? Overwhelming, right? Put in a different terminology, right? If, if, if righteousness was painting, you'd have to be capable of painting a, a portrait more famous than the Mona Lisa. Now, I can't even draw a good stick figure. Right? It's, it, You'd have to be better at self-promotion. If self-promotion was righteousness, you'd have to be better at it than the Kardashians, right? I mean, it, 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 that's what he said. You have to be better than the experts. And you can go right on down the list. You know, if building a great entrepreneurial company, right? If that's what righteousness is, you'd have to be better at it than Steve Jobs of Apple and Bill Gates of Microsoft. Or Jeff Bezos of Amazon. Just add whoever in there. He's saying, if you are going to be good enough, if you're going to have a righteousness that qualifies you to get into heaven, you have to be better than the experts. And the experts here are the scribes and the Pharisees. So let me illustrate what the scribes and the Pharisees did, right? 
The, the Old Testament contains 613 commands. 613 commands. So I want you to imagine that you could put all 613 commands in my snowblower manual, right? This is a, the best book. I happen to have it out. I know a couple of small issues. Anyway, it's got to go. So in, right? The scribes and the Pharisees are asking the question, all right, what does it mean to work on the Sabbath? Right? Does it just mean you don't go to your job, but you can do everything? What does it mean? So there's our, all right, that means you can pick up this much salt and you can move it this far, but if you do any more than that, it's work. Right? They used to ask questions like, all right, if a tailor had a needle left in his, in his uh, garment and he walked with it to the synagogue or to the temple, was that work? Because he's carrying it. They, they, you know, they wanted to be able to take all the commands and make sure they never, ever violated any of them in any circumstance at any time. So what happened over time was that this went to this, right? All kinds of stuff. And this is not entirely promotional. It took the 613 commands and through the Mishnah, which is when they talked about it orally, and then when they started to write it down, which is the Talmud, and some of you have heard both of those terminologies, by the time you got to the Talmud, depending upon which school you came from, it was either eight volumes or 12 volumes. I mean, you needed a bookshelf, right? You needed a bookshelf. It was a lot of stuff. And Jesus stands on the mountain, and he looks out. Actually, he's seated, right? Sorry. He's seated on the mountain in the position of a teacher. He's looking out at the people who are hungering for God and said, you have to be capable of being more righteous than the people who are committed to doing all of this every single day for all of their lives. Right? A lot of us are like, I'm done. There's no way, right? It's just like, if we're going to be more righteous... And more committed than Mother Teresa, count me out, because I, 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 I'm not going there. And yet, Jesus is saying, if we want to be great in the kingdom, this is where we got to go. If we want to be great in the kingdom, where we want to go. If you want to look at this principle of when we are with God, God is with us. And so when our hearts are completely his, we experience his strong support. In this particular case, it is having this surpassing righteousness. It shows up that we have God's strong support in the sense of we become great in the kingdom. In the eyes of God, he is overwhelmed with joy in who we are and what we're doing. Right? And so when we look at this, this strong support equals kingdom greatness. So it says, if you do these things and teach them to others, and that's the definition of a complete heart in this particular instance, then we will enjoy this full strength of God, which will be elevated in the kingdom. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to end up standing here instead of sitting there, but God's going to use you as an incredible light and as a powerful salt in all the places in the world where he's going to take you. So, what from this passage can you and I take away that will get us past that point to say, there's no way that I'm going to have surpassing righteousness? 
Because that's exactly the reaction these people would have had on the mountain. That, that he would have said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And every single one of them said, you know what, I'm out of luck. These are the guys who spend their lives trying to figure out what following the law means in every single situation that you can ever conceive of. And then all they ever try to do is keep, that, keep, that, keep those things. And, and, and it, there's nobody more dedicated than them. So there's a couple things that I'd love for you to see. You know, and, and, and the first one comes out of the word fulfilled, right? Jesus says in verse 17, I, I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it, right? And, and what you need to understand is that when Jesus uses that word fulfilled, it means that he's going to take all of the, and this is big theological stuff coming out of Hebrews, flowing back into the Old Testament. He's going to take all the things that were wrapped up and trying to be achieved. Sorry, I'm moving out of camera. All right. Um, he's taking all the stuff that we're trying to achieve in the sacrificial system, and Jesus satisfies it all so that, so that there is perfect access. So here's the way I would put it. Jesus can... And Jesus will give us the righteousness we need in order to have surpassing righteousness. Jesus can and Jesus will give us the righteousness that we need to have surpassing righteousness. I, I think about it this way. You know, a um, couple, couple images. So how does that work for us, right? You know, and the church loves to throw around big words like imputed righteousness and all that kind of stuff, right? A lot, a lot of different types of terminologies that go around, and, and, and all that flows out of Scripture. I, I look at it two different ways, and maybe one of these illustrations will help you, right? One of them is like getting an honorary doctorate, right? When you and I recognize that we need a Savior, and we recognize that Jesus is that Savior, and we place our faith in Him, it's like we receive honorary righteousness. Right? When, when my youngest son graduated from college, one of the parents... One, the father of one of his roommates was given an honorary doctorate by Gordon College. Now, this is not, and he got an honorary doctorate in finance. He did not satisfy the credits to earn a doctorate in finance. Now, he had taken a bank of 50 people and grown it into a bank of 25,000 people. So he had some capabilities, if you will, right? But when he stood there on that platform and they lowered that multicolored hood over his shoulders, right, for any of you who've ever seen that, he was bestowed the honor of having an academic doctorate in finance. It was given to him. When you and I put our faith in Christ, when we recognize we need a Savior because we're sinners, that Jesus is that Savior and he's fulfilled everything that the law requires. And we commit our lives to him. It's like God lowers the hood, if you will. That's what they call those. It looks to me like a scarf, right? You know, the, the scarf. When he lowers it over the shoulders and puts it on us, he, he bestows upon us the righteousness that is in Christ. Does that make any sense? The imagery work in there? Another way is, look, we, we don't think this way, but the... the the, the Israelites and much of the ancient world at that point in time thought in a corporate sense, like everything was interconnected. 
So Paul's able to use language when he's writing parts of the New Testament to say that, you know, we, we all died in Adam. And in Christ, we all have life. And so, let me break it this way. So we're, what he's saying is that Adam came along. All of us are following Adam. Adam led us off the trail, and we are totally lost. Right, Christina and I like to watch this show called North Law, uh, North Law, you know, and some of it takes place in New Hampshire, and we've actually seen them filming some stuff out on, on Lake Wanapasaki and stuff. But, you know, they often are doing rescues on mountains because somebody got off the trail, they're out in the woods, and they're totally lost, right? And we were watching one the other night, and they found this 13-year-old kid who, who lost both of his sneakers in snowbanks, and he's out in there for two or three days, and they happened to find him, right? He said, like, the, the imagery is, is that Adam marched off the trail. He got way out in the wilderness, and every single one of us had no choice. We just followed along behind him, and we are just as lost as he is. We are tired, hungry, dehydrated, and et cetera, and we do not know how to get out of there, and we are trapped. And then Jesus, as the second Adam, parachutes in and leads us back to safety. That's the kind of righteousness. We, we all died in Adam. We marched off in and we're totally lost in the wilderness. And Jesus comes in as the expert who knows the way out and guides us out to where we get back to a place of safety. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And with that, he's ready to give it to us so that we have that surpassing righteousness. Jesus can and will give us the righteousness we need for surpassing righteousness. Now, you'll notice that the trigger for being completely his here and the strong support that comes with it is to do and to teach these things, right? Look back at these verses. That Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these, verse 19 of these commands, and teaches others to do so what we call the least, right? But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what do we need to know in order to be able to do and to teach the commands that they're being given to us? Now, Jesus is actually going to spend the majority of the rest of chapter 5 kind of unpacking a little bit of what that means. I don't mean, I don't think that means that we got to go back and memorize how 613 commands turned into 10 to 12 volumes, and there's no way that we can memorize it all and keep it all. I don't think that's what it means. What Jesus wants is for us to have a compass inside that takes us constantly in the right direction. And let me give you some bearing points on that compass. At least these are ones that work for me, Right? We certainly have the Ten Commandments. You can memorize those things. That's not overwhelming. You, 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 know, you could even take in a lot of the, the big pieces like, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else flows from those. There's some good points. Let me, let me, let me boil them down and, and put it this way. I, I think there's a lot of ways in which when, what God asks us to do is always rooted in reverence and respect. If you're looking for just a... Maybe this is a fresh insight for you that love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself is kind of like, oh, I'm such a... reverence and respect. If you want to do and teach 
all these commands, you just need to orient your life. The compass needs to be always pointing, if you will, at reverence and respect. Reverence for God, respect for what he's taught, and respect for other people in his creation. Those two things, right? Don't take the name of the Lord's in vain. That's reverence. Keep the Sabbath so we can worship. That's reverence. Right? Have no idols, not, no other gods before me, nothing else. That's reverence. If you're oriented towards reverence, you're working towards doing and teaching that which Jesus has shared with us. Respect, right? Thou shalt not murder. That, that's probably the ultimate form of respect, right? The, the ultimate form of disrespect is to say, you don't even deserve to live anymore. You're out. Right? But think about thou shalt not steal. It's rooted in respect. Right? It's their stuff. It's not mine. I'm not taking it. Right? Lying. Right? I, 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 I you know... It's rooted in respect, false witness. Rooted, you can just go right on down the line, right? So if love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, you can even boil that down just to two words, R and R, reverence and respect. When you and I are on the pathway of working towards being completely his, on that compass we need to be pointed at reverence and respect. There's another thing that I want you to see out of this. And this flows a little bit more out of what Jesus is going to do in the rest of the chapters. Chapters, Don't just look at your deeds. You also need to look at your desires. Right? Don't just look at your deeds. Look at your desires. It's not just about what I do. It's also about what I kept myself from doing even though I really wanted to do it. Right? And you can see this happening in the Scripture. Just, just follow along. Many of you still have your Bibles open, right? But just look at verses 21 and 22 and 23 here. It says, you have heard it said, don't murder. Right? That's one of the big ten. Right? God's top ten. Right? He had a, he had a top ten way before David Letterman. Right? You know, his, God's top ten. One of it was don't murder. Right? And if you murder, you're subject to judgment. But look at verse 22. But I tell you, Everyone who's even angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So, you know, he's saying it's not just the act of picking up the axe, right? It's the very, the very emotions, the frustrations, the anger, you know, that comes out of it. Even though you're able to muzzle it, control it, it only comes out as insults. It only comes out as harsh words. Or maybe in some cases it just comes out as withdrawal. And you say, I, I just won't be right, that kind of thing. He's saying those things themselves, the, de the desires themselves are a part of the problem. So when we're looking at having hearts that are completely his, that's working towards, towards um, um, surpassing righteousness, living out this, what, that, what, that which Jesus has given us, we need to be looking more than just at behavior modification. We need to be looking at character transformation. It's about our desires the root of things, not just the, 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 the flower that grows from them. I don't want to belabor this. Verse 27, 
Same kind of idea. It says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her heart. It's not just the act, but it's the thought and the feeling that goes with it, the desire, right? Flow along a little further down. Verse 33, you've heard it said to our answers, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But he flows down a little bit later. He says in verse 37, but just let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one, right? So, because what happened was that they said, all right, if you make an oath to the Lord, so I swear to God that I'll do this or do whatever, that was obligated, right? But if you said, I swear by the footstools of the temple in Jerusalem, right? Didn't matter. It's kind of like when we were kids, right? And you'd cross your fingers behind your back and make a promise. Right, you know, kind of, same kind of idea. Maybe the kids don't do that anymore. I don't know. You know, kind of idea. But he said, "It's it's you need to be a person of integrity. It's not that you could get away with it. It's that you don't even want to do it. It's not just the disease. It's the desires. I think of it this way for myself. And I'm going to use an illustration from our family. Who am I when I'm off leash?" Right? Both of our sons and their wives have dogs. One, one, is, one is Harley. Harley is the fastest dog I've ever seen. And then, and then our other son has a dog by the name of Ziva. Now, both of these dogs are the kind of dogs that when you take them for a walk, they're taking you for a ride. Do you know what I mean? You know, they're just constantly pulling on you. So now they have these, these collars they put on them there that they don't hurt the dog, but they make it uncomfortable when they pull too much. They're like, they pinch a little bit kind of idea, and the dogs are great to walk. But when you let those dogs off leash, they go crazy, right? Our, our oldest son came with his dog at, at Christmas for, for a few nights with us, and so I was getting some pellets out back uh, for the pellet stove, and the dog slipped out the back door while it was open. So at first it just kind of trotted out a few feet and stopped in a little pathway I had, I had done with a snowblower because the dog is from the south, right, never really seen snow before. So it's just standing in this pathway, and I'm thinking, eh, no big deal, whatever. And so I kind of said, well, maybe she needs to go to the bathroom. It's 10 o'clock at night, whatever, that kind of thing. So as I came out a little bit, she moved further away. And the further I moved, the further she went away. So then she kind of turned and went out to the shed, and I, all right, maybe she's going to go, and then I'm calling Ziva, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, right? Then Ziva comes in, and then she looks at me, and she deliberately goes in the other direction out the driveway. So here I am out there, you know, I'm, I, got, I got my slippers on, right? And, it's, and, 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 I, and I'm telling, Josh, I need to come get your dog, and he was preoccupied. Uh, I won't tell you what he was doing. So, so I'm, I'm following this, and this dog, annoyingly, right, I mean, it would turn around and look to make sure I was following it, and then it would keep going, right? So it's, it's true behavior. Finally, it got in one of our neighbor's backyards, and it got cold enough that it just came running to me, and I picked it up and carried it home, right? You know, that kind of, because, it, it's, again, it's not used to, to the north. And, but, you know, a lot of us, we are really good at maintaining ourselves when we're on leash. We're not pushing and pulling and et cetera. But what Jesus is saying is when we're off leash, we need to be the exact same person, right? So when we, when we find ourselves in moments that we're not prepared for, and all of a sudden something, something and who we are shows up that we don't really like, that's probably a pretty good picture of who we are inside and how God needs to keep working 
to grant us to live out the full blessings of the surpassing righteousness that Jesus can and will give to us. So I want to wrap this up for our time for this morning with two things. One, if you do not have the surpassing righteousness that comes from Christ, I invite you to embrace it today. He's fulfilled it. It's yours. You just need to recognize that you need a Savior because you are a sinner, that you can't keep nor do you want to keep, all of that might go with it. And embrace Christ as your Savior by placing your faith in him. My second invitation is that that surpassing righteousness is not supposed to be a burden. It's supposed to be a blessing. Embrace it. Take a look at who you are off leash and let God keep working. Let's pray together. God, thanks for the privilege of your word today. Thanks for the teaching that Jesus has for us. He did it for us. It's been bestowed upon us as an honorary righteousness that's ours. It can't be taken from us. God, allow us to live with the full blessings of that righteousness in our lives. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to stand together and sing um, a final song. And uh, Christina tells me it's a good one. And... uh, on though they're all good right and if you haven't signed up for our um our online form yet and you really don't want to do that online we will give you paper copies you can just drop a a slip of paper in the box that's out there in the for your offerings and we'll get you on the list and get you taken care of let's stand together and sing to the lord as we conclude our service